0: Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook now. Get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. All right, let me encourage you to take your Bibles and open back up to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4. We're going to look at the whole chapter together this morning, but in a moment I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 10. So we'll be finding Ruth chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. If you're new to the Bible, no worries. Ruth is not hard to find. It is the eighth book in the Old Testament, so if you'll start with Genesis and just go forward a few books, you'll eventually find yourself in the book of Ruth. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay too, because in the chair before you, in the book rack, you'll find the copy of the Bible. Take that Bible, find Ruth with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it, and begin to learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read those verses together in just a moment. So you you, you might remember that uh, this week for me uh, was a pretty big week because this week was our light competition in our neighborhood. Wednesday was Judgment Day. And so Wednesday, I made sure everything was just right, got my lights on about 5 o'clock. The judgment was starting at, at 6 o'clock, and, uh, and they judged my house. And I won. Right? How about that? Right? I know. I know. I know. I mean, you know, there's a picture of my house. I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, it, I, I mean, it's just to think, Someone like me and, and the lonely places I started, and now here I am, right? The decorating champion in my neighborhood. My family didn't believe in me. My wife didn't believe in me. My kids didn't believe in me, but I believed in me. I accomplished my dream. If you're a, a high school student, if you're a college student, I am proof if you follow your dreams and goals, you can achieve <laughs> your dreams and goals. And, and I know I, I've, I've had the, the honor over my life to have, have many titles, dad, husband, you call me pastor, my students at CSU call me doctor, but now champion, <laughs> right? So. See so y'all, y'all just want to call me champ. I'm cool with that. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal, right? And so, uh, man, I, I was so excited to win that thing last Wednesday. I, they didn't give me a trophy, which I thought was pretty slack. So I've been trying to find a trophy online for myself, but I, I haven't found one that can get delivered before Christmas. So that's another story, too. Uh, but... but um, you know, I was so excited. I got, my boys didn't know because they, they didn't release the winners until late Wednesday evening. And so, so on Thursday morning at 6.30, I had the, the, the Spotify going downstairs on the, the Amazon Echo and it was blaring. You remember the song from Queen, right? We are the champions, my friend. So I had that thing on loop, like all morning long, it was just looping over and over again. And it was great. And, and my, my oldest son, bless his heart, he doesn't really understand all the things of life quite yet, I guess. Uh, but my oldest son, he said to me, Daddy, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> like, here I've been champion now for a few days, and just let me tell you from a champion's perspective, it is lonely at the top, <laughs> right? uh, but, but, but it is, and if you want to come by my house, uh, they'll be on display from now until next Christmas, 807 <laughs> Buckler Street in Somerville. Come on out, we'd love to have you. There's a donation box in the front yard if you want to leave a few dollars, you come on out. Uh, but, but here we are. We're, we're, we've been in the midst of just a crazy year. We're at the end of 2020. Everybody is greatly anticipating 2021 because it's got to be better. And I don't know what your Christmas usually is like. I don't know if you're like me and you like to decorate your house with lights or I don't know what your traditions are. I don't know, maybe it's some family traditions you hold dear to your heart, but we all have those traditions and and things that we really enjoy at Christmas. And I don't know how this particular year is changing that for you, if it's changing it, if it's not changing it, but, but at any rate, here we are, the Sunday before Christmas, and and I just want to remind you, and I know in this room, here I am, a pastor, here you are, most of you in this room, followers of Jesus, some time ago you made a decision to give your life to Jesus, you know the Christmas story, and, and what I'm going to tell you right now isn't something I don't think you're unfamiliar with, and, but, but again, it's a good reminder, I just want to remind you this morning, in the midst of everything that's going on in our world, in the midst of a, a crazy Christmas, right, don't forget what matters most this Christmas. Easy enough. Easy enough. I could tell you we could go home now, but, but we're not. So, but seriously, don't forget what matters most this Christmas. And, and if there's any Christmas where we needed to remember what matters most, it's this Christmas. To remember that Christmas really is about God taking on human flesh, one of us who would die for us. Christmas really is about a baby born in a manger for you. And I just don't want you to forget this Christmas what matters most and, and how you should live in response to what matters most because there is nothing more important, nothing more oppressing, nothing more significant than the God who loves you and saved you through his son Jesus. Nothing is more important than him. And so I want to remind you this morning how we should live in light of the one who matters most. And I think this concluding chapter of Ruth does a very good job of helping us to remember what matters most. And so as we finish our study of this book, I I just want to show you a couple of truths in this passage that I think are going to help you this Christmas to refocus on and live for what matters most. So take your Bibles, uh, Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel... A man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Imalek, Kilion, and Milan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Milan's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property. So his name was will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for uh, just the opportunity to spend time together in your word, to study, to be reminded that you, you, the God of all creation, the one who chose to, to love us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. The one who chose to send his son for us to die the death that we deserve and rise again. You, you are the one that matters most. More than anything else, you matter. And so I pray this morning as we spend time in your presence, as we study your word together, that we would be reminded of how significant you are. And it would compel us, to live lives for your glory and your honor. So Father, here we are. We're listening to your word this morning carefully, and we're listening with hearts that desire to obey you, the desire to live by faith, surrender to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So here we are, Ruth chapter 4, back in Bethlehem, some years before the Messiah was born, and, and we're going to see this morning as we conclude this story exactly how this story connects to Christmas story but you remember the story we've been studying this book for a few weeks together and and how Naomi has come back to Bethlehem after being away for 10 years, coming back with with no family. Her husband, her sons are dead. She comes back with a Moabite woman, her daughter-in-law Ruth. She comes home and she says, my life is so bitter. God is against me. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because God is against me. But in the providence of God, what we've been seeing over the last couple weeks together is we've been seeing how God slowly but surely has been changing Naomi's heart and changing her attitude because he's been providentially providing for Naomi through her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And if you remember the story last week, Ruth makes this this bold proposal to Boaz. Boaz is a family redeemer. In the spirit of the law, he has the the opportunity to redeem Naomi, to redeem Ruth. And so, so Ruth proposes marriage to Boaz. She unlifted, or she lifted the, uh, the the cover over his feet, lay down beside him. It was a crazy story, and you remember how Boaz said, "I want to, I want to redeem you, I want to marry you, I want to take care of you and Naomi." But there is a relative closer than me. We've got to see what he wants. But I will not rest until this is settled. and And so we left last week again. Ruth living with her mother in law Naomi wondering what's going to happen. All they could do was wait. And that's what they did. So here we are, the morning after. Ruth is waiting. Naomi is waiting. And, and Boaz, he, he goes to the town gate to wait. To wait for the closer Redeemer to pass by. And then he's going to have a conversation. And what we know is that at the end of the conversation, Ruth is going to be the wife of somebody. But who is it going to be, Boaz, or this closer family redeemer? Now I brought a picture because I want you to get this in your mind. This is the picture of of a city gate in Bethsaida. If you were to go to Israel today, you could visit this particular gate. I want to show you this because in those days city gates were very important because as people came in and out of the city, this would be a place where legal decisions were made. They didn't go down to the courthouse to make legal decisions. They made. Legal decisions at the city gate. And in fact, if you go to Israel today, you would see outside the city gates, you would see seats. Because judges, they would sit at the city gates trying cases, making decisions, those kinds of things. And so when Boaz goes to the city gates... He's just not standing there waiting. He is waiting, but he's waiting there with purpose. There's going to be a transaction. There's going to be a legal transaction that takes place at the city gates because this is where legal things happen. And so there he is. He waits. We don't know how long he waits, but at some point, this closer relative, maybe he's been out in the fields like Boaz had been out in the fields so many times before, and he's coming home from a long day in the fields, and and there Boaz sees him. And Boaz calls out to him. But look at what the Bible says. This is really interesting. You come and look at verse 1. Again, it says, Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz spoken about came by. Boaz said, Come over here and sit down. Now, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And in the Christian Standard Bible, it says, Boaz said, come over here and sit down. Some of you are reading from different translations. Maybe you're reading from the New International Version or the English Standard Version or the New American Standard Bible or the King James or whatever the case may be. What's interesting is that in many Bible translations, this is how the phrase reads. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. Now that's interesting and let me tell you why. In the Hebrew language, there are these two words, that, that Hebrew scholars have struggled to figure out exactly what's going on here. In your Bible translation, maybe those two words are translated as friend. What's interesting is that, that in the Hebrew language, these two words that are put together, they're put together in, in kind of a rhyming pattern. And together, the words make no sense. In fact, when, when Bible scholars try to trace the origins of these words, it's, it's almost as if the words are saying Someone who has a name but doesn't have a name—that makes sense to you? It's kind of weird, huh? It's almost like it's almost like when you're talking to somebody and you're trying to remember somebody's name. You've had that happen before, right? You're you're talking to, to your wife about somebody that you know, and but you can't really remember what their name is, and so you say to your wife, "You know who I'm talking about? I'm talking you, you know so and so, right? Such and such. You you know who I'm talking about? That's kind of the idea here." It's that in the Bible translation, In your, your translation says friend maybe, but in the, the Hebrew language it's this idea of so-and-so, such-and-such, or hey, dude, or something like that, right? In fact, from now on in the story, we're going to call this guy Mr. Dude because here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is intentional. The writer of the book of Ruth doesn't want us to know his name. And think about it. Boaz certainly would have known his name. And it's very likely that the author of this book would know his name as well. But they don't want us to know his name. In fact, in one translation, the New English translation, it says this. Boaz said, come over here and sit down, John Doe. It's deliberate. Isn't this wild? That the Bible writer doesn't want us to know the man's name. The question is, why? Well, before we get there, let's think about the story. Boaz makes Mr. Dude an offer. It's an offer that's too good to pass up. He essentially says, hey, you remember remember your relative, Naomi? You've probably heard she's back. And you know her husband, Elimelech, that's your close relative, Elimelech. He's got land. You You can do the right thing right now. You can do the right thing. You can buy that land from Naomi. And if you buy that land from Naomi, uh, you'll be helping. You'll be helping an elderly lady, a widow. Just think. Think about how that's going to bolster your reputation in the community. People are going to know your name. It's going to be great. And you can imagine that the, the wheels begin to turn and the, the mind of Mr. Dude, he's thinking about this. Yeah, that to help a lady that would help his reputation in the community. People would know him as a very generous and, and, and selfless man if he helped Ruth out. And, and, and maybe he knew this about Ruth: that her husband was dead, her sons were dead, and they she didn't have any grandchildren. Oh, this is great. Because, because Naomi is, is far too old to have children. And if, if Naomi can't have children, what that means is that he can buy the land, help a, a widow out, but at the same time have this land so that someday he can pass it on to his own children. He'll make his own family line wealthier. Oh, this is so good. He can help Naomi and at the same time profit ultimately for himself. This is a deal he cannot pass up. And so Mr. Dude says, absolutely, sign me up. I will buy that land gladly. And then Boaz says, wait a minute. Something else you need to know. If you buy this land, you will also acquire Ruth. And you'll have the obligation under the spirit of the law To marry her. And you'll have the obligation to bear her a son so that the lineage of Ruth's deceased husband will live on. So essentially, Boaz is reminding Mr. Dude, right, that this land you are buying is going to help Naomi, but it's also going to perpetuate the name of Ruth's dead husband. And so what that means for you, Mr. Dude, You ain't going to profit. Someone else is going to profit. And it's not going to be you. And then, in an instant, Mr. Dude's disposition changes. Look at what it says. You come down and you you read uh, verse 6. The Redeemer, or Mr. Dude, replied, I can't redeem it myself. Listen to what he says. Or I will ruin my inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I... I can't redeem it i can't do it it'll ruin my inheritance i've got sons to think about i've got their inheritance to think about I, i don't have the time i don't have the energy i don't have the desire to think about some dead man's legacy i've got my own legacy to protect i've got my own inheritance to watch over so here you have it mr dude A redeemer, a family redeemer who has an obligation to do the right thing, but he doesn't because he's what? He's not willing to sacrifice, not willing to pay the price to redeem Naomi and Ruth. The Bible writer intentionally does not want us to know his name. The question is why? Bible scholars go back and forth as to why. But perhaps, probably the reason why the author of this book doesn't want us to know his name is because his name's not worth knowing. I mean, after all, he he wasn't willing to sacrifice. He wasn't willing to pay the price. And so in in the mind of the ancient Bible author, he's saying to us, he's forgettable. The story's not about him because he didn't do the right thing. He didn't do what was honorable. He didn't make the sacrifice. That's that's not the name you need to remember. There's another name, Boaz. That's the name you need to remember. Ruth. These two people that exhibit faith and and loyalty and kindness in the midst of dark days. Those are names I want you to focus on. This guy over here who wasn't willing to pay the price, who wasn't willing to sacrifice, who wasn't willing to redeem, you know... I'm not even going to tell you his name. It's not worth it. He doesn't matter because he didn't live for what was lasting. And here we are. Here we are just a few days before Christmas. And every one of us in this room, every single day of our lives, we are presented with choices, aren't we? Choices to live for what's lasting or to live for what's temporary. And here we are, we're followers of Jesus. And yet even as followers of Jesus, we struggle with this tension. Do I go after what I want? Do I go after my gain? Do I try to protect my name? Try to protect my inheritance? Try to protect what what I desire? Or do I go after what's eternal and what's lasting? Do you see? And here's the conundrum. Here's the challenge, here's the tension that, that we all experience, right? And let's be honest, for some of us it's, it's, it's things like success, it's things like a career, it's things like, like family, it's all those kinds of things that we're going after, our hearts are set on it, and we're not willing to give those up for what's better, for what's lasting, for what's eternal. And so the truth I want you to see here is just real, real simple, don't live for what matters most, right? Right? matters most. That's God. If you don't live for what matters most, you're really not going to gain much. Because at the end, and you know this, I don't have to tell you this, live for those things that your heart are set on. Live for that career. Live for that family. Live for that wealth. Live for whatever it is. And forget living for Jesus. And when you come to the end of your life, when it's all said and done, you're going to know you really didn't gain a whole lot. But on the flip side, On the flip side, every day you can make the choice to live sacrificially. Every day you can make the choice to invest, to invest time in your relationship with God. Every day you can make the choice to invest in the lives of other people for the sake of the gospel. Every day you can make the choice to live at peace with other people. You can make the choice to forgive others. You can make the choice to live with joy in your heart. You can make the choice to honor the Lord. You can make the choice to live by the fruit of the Spirit. You can make the choice to grow in Christian character in Christ's likeness. You can make the choice to be a man, a woman of integrity. Every day you can make the choice to live for those things that matter. Those things that have eternal significance. And as you are living for those things that have eternal significance, whether you realize it or not, what you are doing is that you are creating a lasting legacy. Right? And so here you have it. The Bible author, he's making it very clear. Here's a man. We don't know his name because he chose not to live for what matters. And so his name's forgettable. But my friend, you, your name is not forgettable because you've been given a new name. You've been given the name Son of Daughter of Jesus, because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been given a name by the one whose name is above every other name. And that name makes all the difference in the world. And that name, the name of Jesus, who gave you the name, son, daughter, that changes everything. Because now, if you're a follower of Jesus, yes, there are all kinds of choices. I can live for my gain and not really gain much, or I can live for his gain. Because I've, now watch, you've got to get this, because I've already gained everything in a relationship with him. So why? Why live for my game? Why live for my pleasures? Why live for what in my flesh I want, when in Christ I've already received everything? A new name, eternal riches, purpose, peace with God, peace with each other. The ability to walk by the Spirit, you see? And this is where the story gets good. Look at what it says. Boaz, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today. Now, before he does this, I got to just explain this because it's really interesting, right? I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it went down because I wasn't there and I don't understand all the customs of that culture. And and apparently uh, by this time, when the Bible author writes this book, this this particular custom had kind of faded away. There's a little bit of of this in Deuteronomy chapter 25 you can pick up on, but but at any rate, the guy says, "I, I can't do it. I can't redeem him or redeem them so he takes off his shoe and gives it to Boaz because that's what you want when you agree on something with somebody you want their shoe so he gives Boaz his shoe here's my shoe have it and he walks around with one shoe on for who knows how long right Again, it's, it's interesting, and I don't know all the symbolism behind this, but, but maybe, maybe by handing him his shoe, he was saying, okay, my foot has trodden the land. I've walked the land. It's yours. You walk the land. It belongs to you now. I don't know, but maybe that's the case. But, but look at what it says. So you have this unnamed man who's unwilling to redeem Naomi and Ruth, but then you have verse 9. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witness today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Milan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Milan's widow, as my wife. Now watch, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. This is good, right? Because Boaz says, I know I know this is a sacrifice. I know that my sons are not going to inherit this land that I'm buying from Naomi. Instead, the son that I have with Ruth, Ruth's son, is going to perpetuate the name of her dead husband. He's willing to pay the price. And and look, this gets really interesting. You come down to verse 11. There there are people there, there are elders there who are are witnessing this particular decision, this legally binding transaction, if you will. In verse 11, all the people who were at the city gate, including the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah. Oh, this is so good. Because you remember Rachel and Leah, don't you? Rachel and Leah, uh, they were the wives of Jacob. They were two fighting sisters. Because, and this is just common sense, if two sisters marry the same man, there's going to be some fighting. But from these two fighting sisters came what? Twelve sons who become the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. And so, so, so the people say, may the woman, may Ruth, may she be like Rachel and Leah. Open her womb. May she have many sons, right? And you come down, look what else it says. May, your, may you be powerful in and Ephethath and, and your name well-known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, born to Judah. Oh, that's interesting as well. Because you might remember, it's a crazy story, but back in Genesis chapter 38, there's a story of a woman named Tamar who was in very similar circumstances as Ruth was. Her husband died. And she needed a family redeemer. But the family redeemer who was supposed to redeem her and marry her and perpetuate the the, the family name of her deceased husband refused to do so. And so she came up with a very immoral, sinful way to perpetuate her husband's name. It's a crazy story. But, but, But her name is here, right? And you come down and says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her. She had a son. But look at what it says. The women said, verse 14, not to Ruth, but to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. Remember, this really is, in a lot of ways, Naomi's story. This woman who came back from Moab to Bethlehem said, my name is bitter. God is against me. Now here we are at the end of the book and the women say to her, oh, you're blessed. God has not forgotten you. He has changed your story. And look what else it says. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name, whose name? Boaz. Remember the contrast? On the one hand, you have a family redeemer who's not willing to pay the price. On the other hand, you have a family redeemer who is more than willing to pay the price. And the the people say, may his name be well known and Bethlehem. Oh, so good. And then the story ends. But it ends in a very unique way. It ends with a genealogy. Now, some of you, you you're, you're big readers, you like to read fiction or whatever the case may be. How many books have you read that end with a genealogy? And that's just not an exciting way to end a story. But here we have the end of the book of Ruth, and it ends with... Names. Look at what it says. Perez fathered, now we already saw that name. This is Tamar's son. Perez fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Ram and Ram fathered Anibadab and Anibadab fathered Nashon and Nashon fathered Solomon and Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed and Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. Oh, that's good. Because what would happen some years later is that a child will be born in Bethlehem a child named David. And as that child grew up, there will be a prophet named Samuel who would come and would anoint David as king over Israel. And in the history of Israel, there is no king greater than King David. And so, so it's as if the author of this book He's writing about a very dark time. Now, you've got to come in close and follow me for just a minute. He's writing about a very dark time in the nation of Israel. Because remember, this book took place, this story took place during the time of Judges, when there was no king, when everyone was doing right in their own eyes. And in the midst of that darkness, there's Ruth, and there's Boaz, two people who exemplify what it means to walk by faith and trust in the providence of God. Are you following? Is everybody still awake? And now here we are, the author saying, in that dark time, Israel was not forgotten. God was at work to establish a kingdom and to bring forth a king, David, You know, David, there's never been a king like him. And then you know what David said to God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David says to God, God, I want to build you a temple, a place, a place, a permanent home where your presence can reside and we can worship. And God says to David, no, not for you. Now his son Solomon will build the temple. But not David. But, 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 in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 13 through 16, after David makes that request, God makes David a promise. You're not going to build the temple, but I'm going to do something far better for you. You are going to be the father of a lineage. And from your lineage, someday, someday, it's going to be a king, a king who reigns and rules forever. And then, and then, it gets even better because you come over to Matthew chapter 1. Go there with me real quick. Matthew chapter 1. Now, the book of Ruth ends with a genealogy. No good book ends with a genealogy. And no good book begins with a genealogy. Right? I mean, if you open up the latest novel that you've been waiting to read and it starts with genealogy, you're closing the book because that's not not how you start a story. But it's exactly how Matthew starts his story. He says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then you read through the genealogy, and we can't take the time to do it this morning because it's so rich. But look, you come down and you look, for example, at verse 3. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. That that woman who did that vile thing back in Genesis chapter 38. And then you come down. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. That was an interesting woman, wasn't it? Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Huh. And then you go on and you read a couple more names. For example, you come down to verse 6. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then you come down a little bit further and you see where it says, um, and, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Huh. It's amazing. After the days of Ruth, in Bethlehem, there was a child born named David who became the greatest king in the nation of Israel. And God made a promise. Someday on your throne will sit a king who will reign and rule forever. And then some years later, hundreds of years later, in the town of Bethlehem, a child was born, son of David. And in the lineage of Jesus, four women, Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba, Rahab. Interesting. And every one of these women in some way were associated with what? Scandal. Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, born into a scandalous situation, has descendants who are a mess. But the one whose descendants were a mess, came for a messy people like us. He came to live the life that we could not live in our messiness. And he came to die the death that we deserved. And he came to rise from the dead, to redeem us from our sins, and to give us new life, abundant and eternal life. You see, in the book of Ruth, you have a Redeemer. His name is Boaz. And in the book of Ruth, the people say, may his name be well known. And then we come to Matthew chapter 1, and there's a new Redeemer. Our family Redeemer. And aren't you glad, aren't you glad, my friend, that your Redeemer... He was willing to pay the price, but he did not pay the price by purchasing some land for you so you might live on some land. He purchased the price by giving his blood for you. He purchased the price by dying for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that he who knew no sin became sin for you. Do you see? And Hebrews chapter 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you. You see, this changes everything, my friend. Because here we are, just a few Sundays before Christmas, and and you can choose, right, to live for your name. And and it's likely that if you choose to live for your name, you're not going to have a lasting legacy at all. Or you can choose to live for the one who has given you a new name, right? Just think about it. Live for what matters most because you have gained everything. My friend, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you have gained a lasting name. The God of all creation knows you by name. He has given you a new name, child, daughter, and you have gained lasting grace. Because again, this is what the book of Ruth is about. There's grace on every page. And when you come to Matthew chapter one and you read the genealogy of Jesus, it's grace in every name because you find people in the genealogy of Jesus that don't deserve to be there. And you don't deserve to be there either. You don't deserve your name be written in the Lamb's book of life, but because of love. Because of a baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago, who died the death that you deserve and rose again from the dead because of love. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you've turned from your sins and given your life to Him because of His love and grace, your name, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and will forever be written in His book, will never be blotted out. You are forever His, not because of anything you've done, but all because of this Redeemer, this family Redeemer, who has purchased you by his own blood. And when you get that, when you understand that, it changes everything about the way you live. Because all of a sudden, his kingdom priorities become your kingdom priorities. His will for your life becomes the driving motivation for your life. And here we are, the Sunday before Christmas, and here's what I know. There are people in this room who have yet to accept the gift of a new name. This Christmas, the best gift you will ever receive is the gift of a new name. The gift of a Savior who's done everything for you, who's died the death you deserve, who took the punishment for your sins upon yourself because you have lived a life, of rebellion against God, who rose again from the dead so you could have new life, hope, new dreams, purpose, Ambition, new ambition. And a forever name written in his book. And here's what I know. For some reason, unbeknown to me, and maybe unbeknown to you, for a lot of your life, you've rejected this gift that God wants to give you. And today is the day to stop. Today is the day to receive the gift of Christmas. Today is the day to receive a lasting name and lasting grace. And so, right now, we're going to have a time invitation. And I just want you to ask yourself just a very simple question Have I been given that new name? The name that is lasting. And maybe here in this room this morning, you are here and you haven't. You're not a follower of Jesus. You've never trusted in his death on the cross and his resurrection. You've never given your life to him in faith. You've never confessed your sins to him and asked for his forgiveness. Today, you can do that. Church, come on. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, today is your opportunity to experience grace. We're gonna pray together. And after we pray, here's what I want you to do. If you've never experienced that gift of grace, I want you to get up. And in the corners of this room, there are two crosses. And at those crosses will be people there who are ready to pray with you and help you to begin a relationship with Jesus who will help you ex- today experience the grace of Jesus. After we pray, we're gonna stand and sing. I'm asking you to move to those crosses and begin a relationship with the one who wants to give you a new name. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and when you understand the entire scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation shows us the gift of Christmas this Messiah who's come for us it will radically change your life and maybe you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus and and you look at your life and, and you know what here in the last year you've gotten off track off track in your walk with him you've been living for your name rather than his name You've been living for your priorities rather than exchanging your priorities for his priorities. And and maybe this morning as a follower of Jesus, this message is just a call to you to live the kind of life that matters for the one who matters. I don't know how the spirit of God is dealing with your heart this morning, but I know that he is. And so as we have time of invitation, you respond now as God leads you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together in your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a new name. Thank you, Jesus, that your name is the name above every name. And because your name is the name above every name, you have the power and the ability to give us a new name, to change us through your death and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the redeemer that we need. And Father, in this room this morning, there are men and women who have yet to place their faith in Jesus Christ, who've yet been given that new name. And so I pray that during this time of invitation, there'll be people in this room who respond to the gospel. The good news of a Savior who came and lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserve and rose again. The God-man who's come in the flesh to save us. Father, I pray this morning there'll be people all across this room that give their lives to you in faith. People watching online who will reach out to us today saying, I need that new name that comes in a relationship with Jesus. And for those of us who belong to you who are your followers, Help us to live in light of the new name we've been given. In light of the grace we've experienced. For your kingdom purposes, I ask. And ask it In Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet as we're time and invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you. I'll be down front. Love to talk with you, pray with you. Go to the cross as you move now as the Spirit of God leads you.